0: Blob Talk Radio.
1: You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, September 1st already, can you believe it? And I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts Lavendar and Anastasia. Our 8th Crystal Quest to Arkansas is coming up October 11 through 17, and we have a few spots left, so we are still gathering some more members of the Crystal Soul group to participate. This is, group is identified by having at least one of these six star markings on your chart, either 25, 26, or 27 degrees of Capricorn or Cancer, Aquarius or Leo, Taurus or Scorpio. Uh, If you feel the call of the crystals but you're not sure if you have the required star markings, just send an email to crystals at starseedhotline.com with your birth info and make sure you include the date, the time, the place, and your current location as well. And I'd be happy to take a quick look at your charts to see if you have the markings for this soul group and then send you some more details if you do. We have several shows in our archives entitled Crystal Quest Stories if you'd like to hear about what this has meant to others in this soul group. Our special guest this evening is Julie Lore, whose mission is to help modern people understand what ancient wisdom and the his- hidden history of planet Earth. She's the multiple award-winning author of six books and dozens of articles, With a degree in psychology, she's also studied and taught astrology and tarot for more than 40 years. Her latest book, Goddesses for Every Day Exploring the Wisdom and Power of the Divine Feminine Around the World, has won three national awards. Congratulations, Julie. Her popular astrology feature appears in Atlantis Rising magazine, and she's been a featured contributor on John Edwards' website, infinitequest.com. where she had her own internet show. Julie also writes a monthly feature for the global site, Satyama.com, and her research has taken her to sacred sites around the world gathering the material for her books and teachings. So please check out her website and that is Julie Lore J U L I E Lore dot com. At the top of the show it's the Starseed News with Anastasia bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you're not going to hear in the mainstream media. We would like to thank Fiona and Vanya for hosting the Switchboard this evening. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and we always like to thank Tammy for her dedication to the forum. You can download our show podcast on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page. Just look for the cloud with an arrow on it. If you'd like to support our show, just click follow on our page here at Blog Talk and you'll get our weekly show notices so you know what's coming up. The toll-free number for Starseed Hotline is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart. And Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy, and if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your ten hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing So first, this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with the Starseed news. Hello, Anastasia um now your mute is still on. <laughs>
0: Well, it works, and then it doesn't work. What can I say? <laughs> it's been one of those days. <laughs> Are we Mercury retrograde yet? When does that start? No,
1: unfortunately, um, and that's coming up September 17th. So, um, mm. Well, it always but, comes after me a
0: little bit early. <laughs> yeah. Good evening, yeah. everybody. Wonderful to be with you. Happy September 1st. The year's moving right along, and we have a lot of news to cover, so I'll get right into it. All right, with our space weather from spaceweather.com, they are reporting that there is a solar sector boundary crossing. They say that high-latitude auroras are possible tomorrow when Earth will cross through a fold in the heliospheric current sheet. They say this is called a solar sector boundary crossing, and NOAA forecasters estimate a 70% chance of polar geomagnetic storms when that happens and also about the sun the sunspot number is plummeting they say the earth side facing the earth facing side of the sun has almost no sunspots at all very unusual very very quiet and in hawaii one of the world's most active volcanoes began erupting again on the Hawaii's Big Island Thursday morning. It sent a thick ribbon of lava from its summit down into the forests. Now, the lava lake at the summit of Kilauea Volcano, which is located within the Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, was still active on Friday, according to officials with the USGS, and they're the ones that monitor the volcano. They said that the uh, volcano's lava flow pose no threat to surrounding communities right now, but they are being monitored closely as some of the lava flows are marked by smoke plumes where lava is creeping into the forest, so it's edging downward. And from Great Britain, a fascinating story. I had never thought about this before, and some of you may be well aware of it, but I think it's kind of cool. Archaeologists are searching for the lost tribes of prehistoric Britain, and they're looking for them at the bottom of the North Sea. In a unique, uh, groundbreaking operation, scientists are planning to search for evidence of Stone Age human activity on Britain's very own Atlantis, which they consider to be a vast prehistoric land once located between England and southern Scandinavia that was engulfed by rising sea levels about 7,500 years ago. Now the archaeologists are hoping to find evidence of things like flint tools, they want to recover ancient pollen, insects, plant, animal DNA, and they're going to use high-definition survey techniques to accurately rediscover what the Lost Stone Age landscape looked like, what visitation flourished there, and how humans used their environment. that sounds like a scientific thing. Of course, humans have always used their environment. But anyway, the project will reveal the culture and lifestyle of the prehistoric Britons who flourished there for 6,000 years until it finally disappeared beneath the ocean in the 6th millennium B.C. They say that the real British Atlantis covered some 100,000 square miles of what is now the North Sea, and it's a long-lost territory around the size of modern Britain. I say, following the end of the Ice Age, thousands of cubic miles of subarctic ice started to melt, and sea levels rose worldwide, and that affected the North Sea region, and that happened about 8,000 years ago. So that's a lot of land that was lost, and yeah. it could be very exciting as they uncover that. Interesting.
2: Had no Britain idea. It used to
0: be much, much bigger than it is today, yeah. Very fascinating. Well, we don't often uh, cover politics in this program, but I did want to bring this up. It appears to be something that is a burgeoning issue. Um, All of the migrants, the immigrants that are fleeing from war-torn countries, trying to leave their countries and going to other ones in Europe. And right now there is a migrant crisis all over the place. Railways in Budapest, Hungary have been closed down for an undetermined time uh, to prevent immigrants of, from boarding a train out of that area into Vienna. This is the latest event in the spiraling migrant crisis that's engulfing uh, Europe. Hundreds and hundreds of of refugees, maybe even more, and most of them are coming from the conflict areas like Syria, are now waiting, uh, being blocked by police. They're demonstrating, they're urging authorities to let them in, shouting, Germany, Germany, Germany they're uh, keeping the station open for local passengers, but they're blocking uh, migrants that are trying to get out of their countries. These people are homeless. uh, They have no money. They're stranded, and they're trying to find a place of safety. It's a real serious problem, real serious in the world for a lot of people, and politicians are not addressing that. I think that's being treated much like the homeless situation. Nobody wants it to be their problem, and yet Western countries have made the war, and as people flee, they're not getting the help that they des- they deserve as human beings to to relocate. Well, I have a fake food alert for everybody tonight. Fake food alert. Can you hear the alarms going off? Buzz, buzz, ring, <laughs> ring. <laughs> everybody beware. There is uh, They have developed an ice cream that is resistant to the rays of the sun, invented by mad scientists. Uh, The question is, will your Sunday last till Monday? Well, ice cream resistant to the melting of the sun's rays, the sun's heat, could possibly hit the stores within the next few years because uh, researchers from the University of Dundee in Edinburgh believe that they've cooked up a new recipe. They say that the new ingredient will be based on a protein that binds together air, fat, and water in ice cream to make it lick hot weather conditions, rendering it more immune to melting. They say that ice cream will be made with fewer calories. It will have lower levels of saturated fat. Of course, it will stay frozen longer. And they say it should be a much better eating experience. I say just give me, you know, old-fashioned real ice cream and keep your mints out of it. That's <laughs> a licking
1: it down before uh. it melts. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, well, we don't need the sugar anyway, but I just think that's interesting. What will they not get their fingers into, huh?
3: Really?
0: Well, um, there's been a study uh, that indicates that a jet of electric current can amplify space weather at the equatorial regions. Now, they say solar explosions can threaten power grids in areas near the equator in places that have long been uh, thought safe from disruptions from the sun meaning the equator specifically researchers are studying a weird flow of electricity that's pulsing above the equatorial regions now i repeat a weird flow of electricity pulsing above the equatorial regions if they're calling it weird i'm wondering what the dickens this is well they say that solar eruptions can blast earth with superheated electrically charged particles Now, when these explosions slam into the Earth's magnetosphere, a shroud of electrical uh, charged particles around the Earth uh, triggers uh, geomagnetic storms. We talk about that all the time on this show. But they say that geomagnetic storms can generate geomagnetically induced currents, and these are electrical currents in our power lines, telecommunication cables, gas pipelines, other long wires that could damage uh, power grids. And they say that the impacts of these geomagnetic storms are strongest at high latitudes near the poles. That's why we see all of the auroras in the northern latitudes. However, if you will note in previous broadcasts, I've pointed out that the auroras are coming down into the Dakotas, uh, some of the southern uh, Midwestern states. It's dropping. It's not so much Arctic anymore. And uh, so that's been sort of an anomaly that's been occurring. Well, the science, scientists have found that so-called interplanetary shocks or gusts of solar wind can trigger damaging uh, geomagnetically currents, induced currents, in, uh, along the equator. And that has never been seen to be possible before. So apparently uh, we're having a lot of uh, geomagnetic and electrical shifts in our planetary atmosphere. Just some weird stuff happening. And there are right now three simultaneous Category 4 hurricanes in the Pacific Ocean. This is a new record. It's a rare meteorological event Uh, that occurred Saturday evening and early Sunday morning when three Category 4 hurricanes were ongoing simultaneously in the Pacific Ocean. There was uh, Hurricane Kilo, uh, going at 135 miles an hour, was located uh, southwest of the Hawaiian Islands. That was followed by Hurricane Ignacio at 140 miles per hour to the east of Hawaii. Hurricane Jimena, 140 miles per hour in the eastern Pacific. They say that... uh, Kilo was the last to reach Category 4. It did so on Saturday evening, but they say that the sustained winds of these hurricanes are uh, 130 to 156 miles per hour. And that's a very strange thing, they say, three in one time. First recorded occurrence of three Category 4 hurricanes in the eastern and central Pacific basins at the same time. In addition, it's also the first time with three major hurricanes in, in those basins simultaneously. So, pretty amazing stuff, and Hurricane Fred is making history in the Atlantic. This is uh in the Cape Verde Islands. This occurred uh just yesterday. They say the Cape Verde Islands don't get hurricanes. It's the first hurricane to hit the islands in more than 100 years. Records dating to 1908 show no developed hurricanes hitting this small island. It's a nation of half a million people. It achieved hurricane status Saturday night, Sunday night. There's been dangerous flash flooding and wind gusts to 90 miles per hour. And, of course, it, it will eventually weaken. So that's uh, three in the Pacific and one in the Atlantic that I know of that I'm reporting about tonight. Charleston, South Carolina, had a lot of rain. They had an unusually high tide called a a king tide, and it coincided with more than six inches of rain in Charleston, South uh, Carolina, yesterday. They say even the alligators got flooded. Uh, It closed a bunch of roads. It collapsed some um, embankments on the interstates. Uh, Firefighters had to carry people through flooded streets. Um, It was really a problem, so they really got uh, inundated with water. And in California, Fort Bragg, uh, magnitude 3.5 earthquake was reported last Saturday, uh, 11 miles from Fort Bragg. This is according, again, to the USGS. They say that uh, it was a shallow earthquake, um, and in the past 10 days, there have been two earthquakes of magnitude 3.0 or greater centered in that vicinity. And in Compton, California, out of Compton, uh, the UPI report, they say no injuries or major damage was reported Monday after earthquakes rattled cities in California, Oklahoma, and Oregon. There was a 2.9 magnitude earthquake uh, southwest of Compton, California, and that report came after news of a 2.6 magnitude along the Hayward Fault in California's East Bay, and that uh is just ongoing, so there were three there, and um, mm, two, two in three states, excuse me, that were felt across three states. Small, but interesting. And out of the news in Australia, they say that 90% of the planet's seabirds are having plastic for dinner. This is according to a new study. Now, I'm sparing you all the details of how they conducted this study because it doesn't read, make for good reading and it would put all of you to sleep. But I will tell you that the findings are from the first global assessment of plastic ingestion by seabirds. It was published this week in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Sciences. They say that birds are eating toothbrushes, cigarette lighters, bottle caps, and things like doll's arms, Um They say that as many as 580,000 pieces of plastic pollute each mile of the ocean at any one time. And there have been increasing reports about it being found in the guts of marine organisms, including turtles, fish, dolphins, and seabirds. The research estimate that a shockingly high 90% of seabirds are ingesting plastic, as I've just said, but they say that that is about 99% of the seabird pop uh, seabird species and they say that by twenty fifty they think that they'll have all seabirds on the planet will have uh plastic in them. Huh. Be nice if we could just eliminate plastic. That would be a wonderful movement to start.
1: And make people more uh, conscious of what they do with it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely Arielle. all this stuff can be recycled. I just love to get my eggs in a uh, paper mache carton instead of styrofoam. There's lots of things that we can do. And we need to be mindful. You're right. Well, here's something that's very mysterious coming out of Oregon. It's a true mystery on the Oregon coast. And a dozen or so scientists and public officials are stumped about it. And the public is amazed. Excuse me. Beg your pardon. There are purple waves. Purple. P-U-R-P-L-E waves that have been hitting the Oregon coast here and there for on the last month, no one seems to know what it is. Now, in the meantime, a lot of Valella valella jellyfish, otherwise known as purple sails, have shown up in the water as well, but they are saying that is not related to the purple waves. I don't know why it wouldn't be, but they say it's not. They have had scientists, naturalists, volunteers from Coast Watch state officials from the Oregon Health Authority uh, nobody knows nobody knows what it is everybody's mystified and they've never seen anything like this before they don't think it's harmful but they don't know what it is purple waves sounds kind of like other dimensional stuff you know like
1: yeah you mean maybe like the water is purple
0: yeah the wave yeah the water is purple the waves are coming in as purple Wow! All of you interested in that? Google it and see if you can find it. This story came from BeachConnection.net, so check it out on the internet and see if you can get some. See if you can find some good photos of that. Not that wild? Yeah. Things get stranger and stranger. I'll tell you. They do. But yeah, but all the more reason for us to shine our light. You know, we have to float our boats nice and high on that up spiral. Sp- a frequency, and then we raise ourselves, and everybody else is raised up by that. you know high energy floats everybody's boats, and at this stage, what challenging, exciting, exhilarating, fascinating times you know this this time in the world history is really giving all of us an opportunity and an imperative to reach the height of what we're capable of, and in that way it it is unparalleled perhaps by any time in history that we know of anyway. This is our chance to rise and shine and we are being called to do that. And every week when I prepare the news I'm just reminded of all the star seed and the light workers out there. So much is depending on our group and uh those like us to raise that frequency and to to activate. Emanate. I like to think of it like that. Emanate. Yes. That's a well good word. that's yeah just emanate send that light out in front of you and walk through it all the time sending it out ahead of yourself well I want to extend my love and good wishes uh, for a wonderful week ahead for our listeners and looking forward to tonight's show that's going to be
1: inspirational and wonderful oh I know it will well thank you so I'm going to turn it
0: back to you Ariel.
1: thank you and uh, we appreciate your bringing us the star seed news some fascinating stuff uh And we will have more news next week. Thank you so much, Anastasia. Yes, we
0: will. You're welcome.
1: um, (laughs) Thank you. We are going to um, get Lavendar online here. And then, um, Lavendar, are you there? I'm here. Okay, I'm going to bring Julie on in a second. Okay, Julie,
2: welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me.
3: Julie. I, I love your book, and we talked about it before a little bit, but and I would love to talk about it some more. This uh, wonderful goddess book that you've written, and and I would like to ask you about Joseph Portal. He's there in Pagosa Springs. And we haven't he used to call in all the time on our radio show, and we haven't heard from him in a while. So just the other day, um, I I called him and uh, talk to him briefly. But can you give us any more news about Joseph? Is he doing okay?
2: He's doing okay. He's uh, sort of quieted his life down. His circumstances have changed, and he's living uh, here in Pagosa but uh, in a different location. Um, When I reconnected with you, I reminded him that uh, I asked him about that, and he sort of promised that he was going to start calling in again. But, um... uh, so I'll give him another reminder the next time I see him.
3: Well, he did tell me that he didn't have a computer anymore. So yeah, um, he said that he hadn't gotten a, another computer. So I guess maybe that's part of it, because I haven't been able to send him an email either. So He's, But uh, we love Joseph, and and a lot of people have asked, well, what's happened to Joseph? Because he used to call in all the time. He and Ralph are our, are our regulars that call in, and <laughs> they uh, their voices are are noticeable to star seeds, and when and when they're not there, they miss them. It's just real clear.
2: Well, Lavendar, when I spoke last spoke with him, uh, he said that someone was going to be donating a computer, so he was hopeful to be sort of back online before too long. So, okay,
3: good good. I, mean, I told him he needed I'm some sure help, that help on that, that, to, to let us star Seeds know and we would help him. So I'm glad that somebody has stepped forward. He didn't ever contact me and, and let me know, so maybe someone else is doing it. That's great. So good now point. let's talk about you and what's going on with you now. Give us a little, um, a little drill on what's happening with you before we start talking about your book. I think you've got some exciting things to tell
2: us. Well, indeed, I do. I have projects going on all fronts. I'm also getting married the end of this month at the Harvest Full Moon lunar eclipse. So uh, that's some um, exciting news and, and uh, probably subject of another show in great detail. But what's been happening in this relationship is a reunion of star, Sheet, star seeds that has been an amazing experience and uh, revelation not only of. It's hidden history on Earth, but uh, revelations about what's been going on in the larger galaxy of stars. So that's an exciting story, but it's definitely its own um, own sort of topic. But the result of it are will be a series of five books. The first one is now available as um, an e-book, and the second one is almost finished, and, and we hope that at some point the print books will be available. But the first one is available it's called the the um star table transmissions and it is available as an ebook wherever wherever they're sold and we'd love to get feedback from people from people who are interested i'm i've also been working with the um the global website satyama.com writing for them on a regular basis and um have been working with with uh, Karen Stuth as publisher and Sue Lyon as designer. And all I can really say at this point is that we've been working on a board game that uh, is based on the hero's journey. So we're excited about that and hope that that will be done oh, probably, um, we hope, within the year, maybe sooner. So we're working on that. Still writing, still writing for Atlantis Rising. I've been doing their astrology feature now since 2000, hardly hardly. I can hardly believe that that's true. it's so <laughs> a long time. I know. I can't believe. Uh, I think it was Arielle who said a little while ago the way time passes. It um, seems to me to be coming more fluid or something and moving. Sometimes it seems as if it stands still, and other times it seems as if it passes so quickly I can't even recognize it. So I guess that's kind of the quick update of uh, what I've been involved in since we last spoke. Staying, uh, staying busy, writing, teaching, and uh, just trying to um, kind of hold on to the handrails. Yeah. Okay.
3: Well, I, I know <laughs> that uh, your fiance had sent me a, a an ebook to to look at, and I told him that I couldn't sit in for long on the computer and read it, but it looks fascinating i'm very fascinated by your subject matters and and i certainly want to have you and ted back on our show when you get ready to really promote the book
2: well a hint might be to go to the very back of it where all the chapters are listed as summaries of what happened because i you know i agree with you it's so hard to look at a screen i'm on one all day long but uh you can probably get the cliff notes and get an idea so we'd love to come back with you and let oh, uh, talk about the experience well, and what's been like for us and what we for every
3: day. So, why is God so important? And isn't it enough to believe in God?
2: Well, in some ways, I always answer that question with, uh, whose God are we talking about?" And it's uh, really interesting. Most most scholars have made the assumption that the whole idea of monotheism, believing in just one God kind of emerged suddenly back with the people who were called the Hebrews, which historically is before the people that we call the Jews. But uh, interestingly, more research in what's called biblical archaeology, as well, as well as the wider study of all other cultures, is reviewing a picture that's really different. And it's interesting that there, the idea of an overarching, unifying, divine principle really existed in many cultures, including Egypt, where we often think of having, um, we think of them as having a multiplicity of gods and goddesses, but um, we know for sure that what happened with what have been called the Abrahamic religions—Judaism, Christianity, and Islam—that the idea of one God, very male, very paternalistic, took root. And um, my own feeling about that is that we're still suffering the reverberations of that that particular god is not really uh, a nice guy in many ways. So I think that um, I believe things and and archaeological discoveries are showing with things like the Gnostic Gospels, the Nag Hammadi texts, that in the days of Christianity the picture was, was very different. But I guess the short answer to the question is if we only believe in a male god, then half of humanity is automatically less than and unable to have a direct relationship with the divine. So when we lost the goddess in a very powerful way, we lost a tremendous amount. That's changing. Not quick enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I agree.
3: (laughs) Now, you know, when they found those Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, did some of the contents uh, of the Dead Sea Scrolls start talking about the goddess that didn't mention her at all?
2: Not so know. much in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were found in Qumran, uh, Israel, high up on a cliff in caves. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were really more old texts that became part of the Hebrew canon and rules and rituals. It was in the Nag Hammadi uh, texts that were found in Egypt uh, near Central Egypt, where uh, what have become known as the Gnostic Gospels have a wide variety of texts that honor the feminine, and uh, including included in that is the Gospel of Mary, attributed to Mary Magdalene. As far as we know to this point, the only gospel attributed to a woman, and it really shook the foundations of traditional religious scholarship in terms of what people had believed because they'd been buried for 1,800 years or more. So it presented a radically different picture of what early Christianity was like and what uh, more ancient beliefs had been like before what we know now as um, what became the Church of Rome and then spread into many Protestant religions before that firmly took hold and uh, changed the landscape of religious thought. Uh, really, up until now.
3: So what prompted you to write this book? What what was it that just simply spoke to you and said, oh, I've got to write this. I've got to really research and write this.
2: Well, about um, ten years ago, someone hired me to ghostwrite a novel because this person claimed, largely through channeled material, she is a visual artist, that she had received information about the true story of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And I was uh, contracted to ghostwrite the novel, and, you know, the joke is I grew up Catholic, and the joke is Catholics don't read the Bible, which is true enough. So I had to do a tremendous amount of research to find out more about what was happening. And along the way, as happens to many people, I discovered this rich vein of history, prehistory, unknown scholarship. It's out there with some great pioneers. And I just caught fire. I just thought, why don't we know this? Why aren't we taught this in school? It was as if thousands of years of priceless information had just been erased. Thankfully, it was not done uh, permanently. So I just couldn't help myself. I felt like I had to do something. I had to make for myself some contribution and to learn more about all these archetypes of the divine feminine that existed around the world. By the way, they're still present in many indigenous cultures around the world, like Hawaii and Africa and so on. But um, it's an interesting thing. And so that was what impelled me, still does, to, to speak about this and know about this and uh hold the space for it
3: well i noticed in the uh da vinci code book and film that there were a lot of um feminine symbols that, that i really noticed that they showed a lot of, of of goddess work in 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 the book and the film uh did you notice that
2: absolutely i think dan Brown really did a fabulous job i know in some ways he's been criticized and sued and a lot of other things but uh Most definitely the the plot of his story has been talked about by others, the bloodline of the Holy Grail or that lineage, but uh, the idea that um, that principle of the divine feminine went underground and can be traced back, uh, according to his theory, Lawrence Gardner's, others who have written about this at some length. That it can be traced back uh, through Mary Magdalene as the spouse, partner of Jesus and their children, and there's a lot that wasn't in his book that's also true about the connection of who, whom, Mother Mary really was, and and um, who Mary Magdalene really was. That's not in that book, but most definitely he made the, pain, the point so strongly and my own feeling is that one of the reasons i mean other than it was a great book and movie and very exciting i think one of the reasons it struck such a chord in people is because we've had this need we've had it's like we've been operating as a species with only half of our body because a whole half of our psyche has has been crippled and and devalued and ignored for such a long time i think people felt that and he did a great job of bringing that forward
3: you, you know the death of uh, princess diana of wales um it really struck a chord through, throughout the world and i think the divine feminine principle was was so um so focused on on the media at that time and i think it actually activated a lot of women and a lot of people and men too on the planet into their into their past life, um, you know, recall. Something happened when she when she was killed. Something happened to all of us on the planet. What do you think about that?
2: I agree. I think it's another very, very powerful example. And, and it was addressed a little bit in the film where uh, Helen Mirren played the role of Elizabeth the Queen and reacting to that as part of the circumstances. And it was such a contrast in terms of who Diana was or at least who she appeared to be to all of us and once again she held the energy of the of the queen nature more really than the role of Elizabeth who her role was more like a king in some ways so that contrast but i agree with you lavendar i think that um these they're like tripwires in the collective psyche that's sort of how i think about them and uh, it's a very powerful one. And of course, the circumstances of her death and the person that she was in a relationship with, and all of the things that people want to uh, want to relate to, uh, Dodi Fayed, her her then partner, was of the same family that owns Harrods in in London. And it's interesting too; uh, he's part of an Egyptian family that I know and have been connected with through all of my tours to Egypt, which I've done 11 times. So there's lots of information that could be talked about there, but the other thing that's interesting, connecting the dots to Egypt, is that during the, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the 60s or 70s, I'm not exactly sure, but around that time frame, and lasting over a period of about 20 years, there was a phenomenal thing that happened in Egypt over uh over a church there. Now it's a church dedicated to Mary. By the way, the Muslims adore Mary and have an enormous uh reverence for her. But this church in, in Cairo in a place called Zaitoum, over a period of uh twenty years or so, hundreds of thousands of people of all diverse beliefs stood side by side as these apparitions of Mary and Joseph and the ho- the Holy Family appeared over this church. And it had the same kind of effect that you're describing with the death of Diana. It was as if people forgot their differences and responded primarily to this benediction from this divine feminine principle. Very powerful. Wow, wow.
3: So how did you decide to arrange the goddesses based on the zodiac?
2: You know, it's funny. I um, I fought that urge. Originally, because it was feminine, I wanted to uh, to organize the book more by the phases of the moon because that seemed somehow more feminine to me. But over time, and I worked on this a great deal, I sort of made peace with the fact that every culture on Earth has marked time by the motions of the sun and moon and some stars, but especially the planets against that background. Babylonians and Egyptians used uh, a zodiac, uh, different than ours, but some similarities, thousands of years ago. Every single culture that we know has used this circle of stars, because that's where the planets and the sun appear to move, used it as a calendar, used it as a way to predict the seasons. So I made peace with that. So Goddesses for Every Day is arranged like that circle, like the wheel of the seasons. And and for me, as it unfolded and revealed itself to me, uh, it also is a meditative journey through the year. So I arranged it like the zodiac. I also arranged the goddesses moving through their stages of life. So the goddesses of spring are are the youth, are the maidens. The goddesses of summer are the mothers. The goddesses of harvest and so on are in the fall, and the go- the crown goddesses come in the winter, the time of darkness and death, and then ultimately the renewal that comes again uh, in spring, of course, in the northern hemisphere. So the seasons, the Wheel of the Year, to me also symbolically relates to those stages, the maiden, the mother, and the crone. And this trinity, by the way, existed for thousands and thousands of years in the past, long before the male trinity that we see uh, we see in the Bible. So it was quite a journey for me to decide how to do that, and I fought against it in the beginning, but um, it now makes sense and peace to me I, I've made peace with it. It makes sense to me, I should say. And I feel good about how it ended up.
3: Good. Now, what, what are the goddess signs?
2: There, that was another thing that uh, that I noticed, and I'm sure that uh, most of the people, if not all of the people listening, will understand that it's like a process of revelation where you have these encounters with things or, or guidance speaks to you in a way And so I perceived, I'm sure I'm not the first person to have perceived this, but it's also true, in cultures all around the world, there were always the same symbols that were connected with the sacred feminine, and different symbols are connected with the sacred masculine. So birds and trees and serpents and spirals are always found to connect with the sacred feminine in every culture that I studied And so one of those days, in a shower moment, I had this sudden realization that I thought there was an alignment between these symbols and the 12 signs. So it was one of those moments where I rushed out of the shower and got to a piece of paper as quickly as I could, and there it was. You know, if I hadn't been able to write it down, I might have lost it. And so I called them the goddess signs. So, for example, the dove represents libra and taurus is represented by the tree of life gemini is the bee cancer is the shell Uh, capricorn is a spinning wheel all of the crone goddesses uh, were spinners and weavers scorpio is a spider and um, aries is the Cretan axe for example so it just came as this revelation and as i worked on the book it um it just worked on me and uh I've done a lot with that and sort of created readings around that, astrology readings around that and looking at the feminine side of astrology.
3: That just sounds that's fabulous. I love I love those kind of moments in the shower when you get that aha moment and you have to go and, and write something down. It happens it's happened to me quite often through the years and it's it's in those moments that you know it's really true. You know?
2: You Absolutely. know it's really true. And you know it's as if some hand-reached out with this sort of wispy, ethereal bit of wisdom, and you have to grab it immediately and do something with it, or it might be lost.
3: So how did you choose the goddesses to feature in your book?
2: That was a terrific journey. Uh, I, like a lot of other people, it's funny, one of the questions I get the most often is, how did you come up with all those goddesses? Because most of us really only know or have heard about some Greek goddesses, a few of those, and maybe we know about a few Egyptian goddesses. But once again, we're not taught any of this information. So as I began my research, I was really stunned to learn that there are literally thousands of goddesses from around the world from every culture on Earth the farther back you go in time. And because I I wanted to represent as many diverse cultures as I could and to include as many different cultures within the 366 days of the year, including February 29th, so I kept looking for as many different cultures. And I also wanted readers to be able to explore the goddesses in a deeper way if they felt called to do so, because there's, uh, I don't think I did say, but um, there's a different goddess, ...for every single day of the year from as many different cultures as I could find. So there's a the goddess's name and a keyword, and then there's a few paragraphs about her myth and her nature, and then there's a contemplation. So if someone's, the goddess of someone's birthday, for example, resonated with them very deeply, I wanted them to be able to find more about her and not have the goddess be so arcane that they couldn't find anything but so they wanted to look in books or on websites, they would be able to find more. And likewise, if someone, perhaps it happens occasionally to me, someone doesn't so much resonate with their birth goddess, but they find someone else. So i that was the process. I wanted to choose as many as I could, most of whom might be new to people, someone they'd never heard of and want to learn about uh, her nature. And then also, so it wouldn't be so vague or archaic that they couldn't find out more. And, you know, kind of on that subject, it's interesting. It happens to me all the time that someone will contact me and tell me a story about the goddess of their day and how something related to that or what she represents has been something significant in their life. And they're amazed. And, of course, I'm always awed. This process taught me a great deal about guidance, how it works, and it was amazing, humbling, awe-inspiring. Many of these goddesses actually revealed their wisdom to me, and sometimes sometimes they would almost do the equivalent of appearing to me. I could see, not physically or embodied, but I could see them in my mind's eye, and they would communicate through archetypes or symbols or or myths, and it was um, truly, truly an amazing process. Sometimes I felt like uh, I would have memories of being in ancient temples in service to these divine beings, and I felt such a sense of uh, gratitude and humility. I mean, it's ongoing, but uh, it was truly an amazing process.
3: You know, it just occurred to me, um, did you did you ever put out a little um, calendar to set on people's desk? a thought for the day from the goddess? Did you ever do that?
2: You know, I didn't do that. What I did for a while, and you know, you're reminding me of all the stuff I need to do. What I did <laughs> for a while, uh, I would tweet the goddess of the day, and I would do a message on Facebook for the goddess of the day. But... Um, I never did a calendar because, in many ways, the book itself is like that. But what you're describing would be like just a little flip calendar where you could have a message of the day.
3: Yeah, it's like a, a little square thing that you sit on your desk, you know, and you just and you pull it off a day at a time, you know. You you seen those, right? The ones that you just tear off and then read read the the the, the thing
2: for the day. It's a great idea. Yeah, my you publisher do wasn't that. interested. They that. said calendars yeah. don't really sell. And so, you know, I didn't do it myself, but it's a fabulous idea.
3: Yeah, I think if you put it on your website, people would order it. I think so.
2: No, that's a good. That's a good idea.
3: Yeah, I like, I I would buy it, and our Star Seed audience, they'd buy it.
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to have to investigate that.
3: <laughs> so, um, you've talked about Joan of Arc and Mary Magdalene and Fatima and daughter of Mohammed. Uh, why did you include them in your in, in your um, in your book?
2: That's a question I get asked often as well, because modern people think of them just as human women, if you will, and not as goddesses from ancient times. But um, in the case of Joan of Arc and Mary Magdalene, they're actually now Catholic saints. And as it turned out in my research, the myths of many beings who became goddesses in their tradition Actually began with ordinary human women who were remarkable in some way and accomplished amazing things, and so later, after their deaths, their stories grew into legend, if you will, and they were deified and worshipped as divine beings. Uh, Mother Mary is another figure who's in the book, who's who's in that in that category. In the case of uh, Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad. Her stories are amazing, and because I've been to Egypt 11 times, I've learned a tremendous amount about that culture and how uh, Muslims revere Fatima. And she has a status in Islam that's very much like uh, Mary, Mother Mary, in the Catholic tradition. It is, indeed, almost goddess-like. She began as uh, an ordinary woman, but likewise, her legends and lore have uh, grown into things where she grants favors and people speak to her or invoke her. And so, to me, uh, in a sense, um, the, the Egyptians had an expression that every woman was um a new new treat, which is a, a diminutive of the goddess Newt. They said every human woman was a goddess in the making and I really love that idea and I happen to think it's very true and that part of part of my whole purpose for this was hoping that women would embrace more of their innate nature and power. So to me it makes perfect sense to consider that these women who have transcended, especially in the case of Joan of Arc and Mary Magdalene, what the Church did to them, how they were vilified, demonized, Joan of Arc burned at the stake and then later turned uh, into a saint, that what they overcame, the same with Diana that you mentioned earlier, it speaks to something really deep within us that needs to unfold and like petals of a flower, so that um, that real inner truth of what the feminine principle is can be seen and known and felt in the world. It's been hidden way too long.
3: What do you think about our Pope that we have now? You know, he's coming to the United States in a few weeks, and and um, I'm just wondering what his stand is going to be on different subjects like disclosure and... Uh, the women, uh, being priests. What's your hit on that?
2: Well, the answers to to the last questions I don't know, but I'm a huge fan of Francis. I've always been a huge fan of the actual St. Francis and, and his partner, who wasn't his physical partner, Claire of Assisi. Uh, so I think that he took this name and all that that represents and what I have seen from him, honestly, uh, I'm amazed he's still alive. He's so radical and revolutionary from what the popes have been uh, in the past. That um, Do you remember the movie? I, I may be the only one present old enough to remember this, but Anthony Quinn starred in a movie years ago, many years ago. I was in college called The Shoes of the Fisherman. And it was a similar story about a pope who actually got out of the power structure and worked with the people. So I'm a huge fan of this one. I don't know um, I don't know what he'll do. He's in a tough spot trying to overturn a lot of things that have been true for uh, a long while. I don't expect to see female priests in the Catholic Church in my lifetime. I hope I'm wrong about that.
1: Uh, it'll be
2: interesting, won't it, to see what he has to say about disclosure as we know the vatican the vatican astronomer isn't it who's come forward and said there's no reason that's inconsistent with church doctrine that there can't be life on other worlds so that opened the door
3: well and he's he's very big on uh climate change too so yeah i'm I'm very um i'm very excited that he's going to be coming here and, and and making his presence known because we'll get to see more of him and we'll get to to experience what other people are experiencing as they experience him if you get what i mean
2: <laughs> i absolutely do and i think it's powerful that he's coming at this time someone sent me an article uh it, it was um rather incisive but it was very very interesting the particular author was contrasting the antics of donald trump with the behavior of pope francis and it was really interesting in terms of what what that contrast is, and of course how the media makes a circus out of Donald Trump, and how it will be uh, when someone who's ca- I think captured the imagination of the world really Francis in a very positive way. What's your take, Lavendar? On uh,
3: what do you I think, even think about Donald Trump about, uh, and the uh,
2: disclosure Pope and Pope, Pope Francis? Francis. <laughs> I, just,
3: I have trouble with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've been watching, you know, this. Um, this clown car um, action with the Republican Party, and it's just—it's uh, just too funny. It's just too funny. I, I just—I can't imagine how it's going to keep going on. It's got to c- come to a, a climax pretty soon, I think. I, I just can't imagine how this ca- can keep going on, uh, up until the day that we vote. I just can't imagine.
2: I know, yeah. uh, but uh, somehow, I guess the public has an appetite for it. <laughs>
3: Shows how how upset people are about what's happened in Congress, and the Senate, and the way that the politicians have been acting. They're, you know, it's kind of a um, a a form of of cry for help in, in many in many ways. Let's talk yes. again about your book. Um, can you give us an example of how someone might use your book to find guidance?
2: Yes, I, I can share what happened to me in many ways. As uh, I think, as I may have mentioned. Briefly, a little while ago, as, as I was researching this book, I I would have these amazing experiences. Sometimes I would feel like I was just suddenly transported into an altered state. Now, altered states are not new for me in my life. I've had three near-death experiences. So it's happened, but this was was startling. And it was as if I was in a dream state or another state. And sometimes uh, it was interesting that uh, I'd be working on either a goddess who I thought, based on what I read, belonged in a certain part of the book based on how I'd organized it, and I would have a spontaneous vision where I would see the whole circle of goddesses before it was completely filled, and the place I was working where I had intended to assign that goddess, it's like she moved and walked across the circle and, and stood in a different place. So that was amazing. So it was uh, uh, an amazing thing. And by synchronicity, my eyes would be drawn to uh, a different goddess, or book would fall off the shelf and be open. But for people who have the book, uh, one of the ways, and I've I've heard from different people how they use it. Some people like the idea of reading the goddess for the day in in the morning as a meditation, or in the evening before they go to bed, maybe invoking uh, a dream. And that definitely works. Some people like to use it more organically and just thumb through the pages and let it open to where it does and uh, where it falls and let that be their choice. In a similar way, uh, people have told me that they use the book like an oracle. They ask a question and then thumb through the book and see which goddess it opens to and let that goddess speak to them, either through what's in the book or through a message that they might receive uh, on their own. And, and it's been, uh, and I use it in that way, in that way myself. Some people have told me that um, they might begin the day by saying, what quality will be most important for me either to learn today or to embody today? And uh, chances are that quality is listed in one of the appendices, uh, and they can look at the goddess. or they can So look do at you
3: it. do seminars and weekends with goddesses, with women coming to do ceremony? Do you do things like that?
2: I certainly do. I haven't as much in the last couple of years, but when the f- book came out, I was busy doing that a great deal of the time. And, of course, I absolutely love doing it, working with uh And I've had men come, and they're welcome. So it isn't just. Uh, because I think it's important for if a man feels called to do that or to learn more about what it's like to feel the feminine energy within himself, then I I haven't limited it. Mostly women come. You know, I have course. found
3: a lot of clients that have goddesses in their soul, that they have, you know, they've they've their their gender several times, but they have maintained their goddess frequency. I have found several men that have that. Have you?
2: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And it's lovely when they're aware of it and can articulate it and and find someone that they can discuss it with and not have to feel that it's something that has to be hidden. And uh, I've seen it happen numerous times, not with men that at first glance you might say, well, they're feminine or effeminate or anything like that. It's uh, men who are very male uh, and but yet they carry this um like you say in the soul. So that's a great way to say it.
3: Yeah. So I know that uh, the last time you were on the show that you were um um welcoming people to call on the switchboard and talk to you. So at this time I'd like to pass you over to Arielle. And um if anyone is um on the switchboard to um uh, to help her, go ahead. Arielle. Back to you. Okay. I'll talk to you later, Julia.
1: Okay. Okay, well, um I was thinking about um if it's if you think it might be a good idea if people would call in and um you know just give give you their birthday and you tell them which goddess you have for that day in the book. I mean, cuz you said that it really um a lot of the times it's it's very um resonant and and having meaning or just general questions if anyone wants to ask a question um, that sound good to well, you, Well, I Julie? love that
2: idea, Arielle. So either way, if somebody would like for me to do that, I probably won't read the whole thing so we don't take up too much time uh, with each person, but I can certainly give the goddess and the contemplation and maybe just sort of summarize what she represents if she's not known. But if people have yeah. other yeah. questions,
1: I'm happy to do that too. Oh, well, excellent. So um, if you've already called in, um, oh, oh, my goodness, hang on a second. Uh, uh, Vanya, our um, um, switchboard host and uh, one of our producers, is like, ooh, do me. <laughs> Today's your birthday, Vanya. Oh, my gosh. That compl- oh, that's so great. Well, um, let me get, let me see let me, if she can work. hear me. Okay, Vanya, I've got your mic open, sweetie. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Hi. <laughs> well, you know, I was hoping somehow it would work out
2: that I could talk about today, because you know how life and time works and how it ended up being in this day, which I, I think is really significant. So I am going to take a minute probably to read this one, because it seems really important to me and to all the other listeners. The goddess of this day is Eve, the partner Jeez. of Adam. And her key word, her quality, is life. So I'm going to read this quickly. The story of Eve, we know from the Judeo-Christian Bible, who's blamed for humanity's fall and banishment from the Garden of Eden, contradicts her earlier mythic origins as a goddess. Her name comes from the Hebrew, which was pronounced Hawa, and it means life and breath. Scholars believe she was derived from Kiba, an earlier goddess of the Hurrians a culture who lived in Mesopotamia 5,000 years ago. according to the Armana tablets, which are almost 4,000 years ago, Kiba was worshipped during the Bronze Age. Hawa, Eve's Hebrew name, was another name for Asherah, the great mother goddess of pre-biblical times. So there's another paragraph, but I won't read that. So her contemplation is knowing life is eternal and justice always prevails, I trust that women will transcend the so called sins of Eve. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. That's awesome.
1: Perfect. So, um, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Vanya. Happy birthday to you. We love you. (laughs) Thank you but I love you guys. Thank you so much. It's awesome. Okay. Well, yeah, we got people calling on the switchboard, so back to work, girl. <laughs> I'm so glad that you told me that. I I, I spaced out on, on the, today's your birthday, so um, we'll talk more about that after the show. So um, as I was okay. saying, if you are already on the switchboard, then all you need to do is press 1 so that Vanya and Fiona will know that you want to come on the air, and they'll uh, get your your birthday information for Julie, and if you're not on the switchboard, if you're just listening on the computer, then you'll need to pick up your phone, and um, or Skype, and the number is nine one seven eight eight nine eight two nine two, and when you get in, then you press one, so that um, we know you want to come on the air. So while we are waiting, we have a lot of people on the switchboard, so. Um if you do have um, let's see i'm I'm looking through the switchboard if you want to speak to Julie find out the the goddess of your birthday um she'll be happy to give you that information so um also while we're waiting, we got here's Fiona, our other uh, switchboard producer hers is the twentieth of September Solst- I, I mean equinox. So before I say that, just to say, if
2: anybody out there is interested in buying the book, it's available through all the major booksellers online, or you can order it through a bookstore. I think you get the best deal if you order it through New World Library's website. But it's goddesses for every day, and uh, it is available through all the major booksellers. So sorry for that bit of shameless promotion.
1: (laughs) Oh, I apologize for not doing it for you. (laughs) <laughs> I, I would have it at the end of the show, but um, so let's let's hear about uh, September 20. September 20 is Annapurna.
2: Her key word is Eucharist. Annapurna is a Hindu goddess whose Sanskrit name means filled with food, and it's understood to mean everlasting food. She was Annapurna to the Romans and was seen as the home and support of all the gods. She provides the sustenance of daily bread as well as the harvest and is envisioned as as a great breast full of nourishment, and she's also often depicted feeding a child. Symbolically, when food is prepared as a sacrament, sacrament it nourishes the soul to fulfill its destiny. So there's another paragraph, but I'll read her contemplation. I celebrate food as ceremony, and consciously consume what will feed my body and my soul.
1: Well, I mean, I mean nurturing food is 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 of uh, the feminine nurturing of you know children and family. So that Absolutely. Yeah, and certainly um you know being the harvest time of year that that's that's well placed. Um How about um, September 9th? Okay.
2: Moving to the southern hemisphere, September 9th is Cochamama. She's the blue – oh, sorry, that's that's the Hopi. Sorry, I was thinking of Pachamama. Is the blue corn maiden of the Hopi. Corn is considered to be the mother to the Hopi, and is a metaphor for life itself. The cycles of planting and harvest are at the center of Hopi ceremonies where the sun's movement through the seasons relates to the directions. Corn is the most important substance to the Hopi, so seed corn, considered to be the life of the mother, is kept for two years in case of drought. Corn is harvested after the Kachinas go back to their home in the San Francisco peaks each year. The casinos are spirit beings thought to reside in all people, animals, and planets, and they appear each year at the summer solstice, which begins the yearly ceremonial cycle. And Kocha Mama's, uh, her quality is compromise, and this has to do with the rest of her story, and her contemplation is the fine art of compromise can usually
1: prevent a battle. Wow, that's interesting. That's interesting. So um, we have we have a caller that I'm going to bring online here, and we're going to be talking to Ashley, whose birthday is July 29th. So you can be looking that up while I get Ashley on the line. <laughs> Hi, Ashley. Thanks for calling in. How are welcome. you? Hello. Thank you. How are you doing today? I am doing wonderful. And um awesome. I am... Looking forward to to seeing you again soon at the Crystal Quest. So July 29th. Yes.
2: July 29th, of course, is a Leo goddess, and this one's name is Kadesh. Her key word is ecstasy. And she is a Middle Eastern goddess of sacred ecstasy and sexual pleasure. Scholars believe she was originally a Syrian goddess whose name meant the Holy One. She was called Mother of Compassion, and she had dominion over what was sacred sexuality, and women's mysteries, which were performed with reverence. And the reason she's a Leo goddess is she was depicted riding naked on a lion, which also hints at her antiquity in the age of Leo. Like Asherah, she holds serpents and lotuses. She was adopted around 1600 BCE during the historical period called the New Kingdom of Egypt. Her contemplation... Sacred sexual union is an expression of ecstasy.
1: Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That is powerful. That is that is um sacred energy there. So that's July twenty ninth. Cool. Yes. So actually yeah. thanks for calling in and we'll see you soon. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> bye <Bye-bye. laughs> bye. Um okay, um, I'm thinking of all my friends and family, December 5th.
2: December 5th is a Sagittarius goddess named Nanshi. Her key word is omens. She's a Sumerian goddess of dreams and prophecy, whose primary city was Nina. She was skilled in the art of... Anorampancy, I think I can say that right, is a form of divination based on dream symbols. This practice not only interprets dreams, but also lets one see into the future. Some sources say special dreams were sent by Zakar, a messenger of the gods who brought divine messages to mortals in their dreams. Nanshi was considered to be a prophet of such high caliber that she could see the future for deities as well as humans. I'm only reading one paragraph out of these so I don't take too much time. For uh, contemplation, I pay attention to my dreams for my soul travels in that realm while I sleep.
1: Wow. So um, uh, anybody on the switchboard, uh, please chime in if you want to find out the the goddess that uh, Julie has assigned for your birthday. And, I mean, as you said, the it 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 doesn't necessarily um mean that this is your like personal totem or something, but it's each day of the year, so there are like you said, there are people that um that really resonate with a goddess on someone else's birthday, so you didn't actually write it in that particular um
2: uh, oh way well, it's right a bit, it's a bit like um just looking at the stars As we move through the year And when I created this circle The intent was That the energy of that goddess Would resonate with that particular spoke in the wheel of the year If you will But people are complex And many people who might have In astrology They might have their, their sun in Virgo For example But their moon might be in Taurus And they might resonate more with that energy Than their sun sign And so it might be a different goddess that, or goddesses that speak to them more strongly.
1: Right, yeah, I understand that about, you know, sometimes in, in, in people's rising signs, you know, when I, I see somebody and, and I get a really strong sense of a planetary or a, a, you know, zodiac sign, and almost every time I'm wrong, but then if I look at the person's chart, it's their rising sign, because yeah. that's what they show to the world. Yeah. So, um, yeah, very very complex uh, beings we are. How about um, March thirtieth?
2: Mm-hmm. March thirty is a goddess called Owen. Her keyword is mastery. She's a Welsh goddess of spring and sunlight, whose streaming yellow hair flows behind her as she mm-hmm. moves. Her name means White Path, and it's believed that she leaves the trail of white clover, or sometimes the tri- trefoil plant, as she passes in the awakening meadows of spring. Her magic causes all the flowers and trees to bloom. She is also called Golden Wheel and White Lady of the Day, and is the opposite, Sister of Arinrod, who is the Silver Wheel of the Starry Night. Her contemplation... I can find inner strength to master seemingly impossible situations, and I trail light and life as I work.
1: Wow, that's that's beautiful. So, oh, um, yeah, I love this. I really encourage everyone to pick up a copy of your book, whether they get it from your website or some. What was the other place where you said where you think the best deal is? If you get it from the
2: publisher, newworldlibrary.com, and just search for the book on that site, I think they offer the best deal. But it's available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere else, both as an e-book and as a print book. So it is available. You can just Google goddesses for every day and probably go to the bookseller of your choice.
1: Excellent. Excellent. So, um, how about um, November 27th?
2: November 27th is Fortuna. Her keyword is fortune, which is a, what her name means. Fortuna is the Roman goddess of good fortune. Her name is thought to derive. From the earlier Roman goddess, Vortumna, who was called She Who Revolves the Year. This wheel that Vortumna revolves is the same as the zodiac. Sometimes she was shown veiled, in which case her nature was seen as chance, and it was anyone guess, anyone's guess what the outcome might be. Blessings might be bestowed or withdrawn without apparent reason. And it is from this aspect of her nature that the wheel of fortune in casinos comes. And her conscious, her contemplation, I play the hand that was dealt, but I do so skillfully and with finesse.
1: Wow, that's interesting. He's a fun one yeah yeah i just I just love this i mean um, uh, and there's three hundred and sixty six goddesses that you have researched from. All kinds of cultures all over the world, all throughout history, and and found them the 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 perfect spot on your wheel. I just I just love this. So well,
2: it was a process, as I said earlier. I, I, in a sense, I think that uh, uh, they chose me and told me where they wanted to be. Right. My job, my job was trying to do honor to them and describe them as best
1: I could. I think you've done a wonderful job. How, how long did it take you to, to, from the time you got the idea for the book until the time it was done? That's a good
2: question. A couple of years at least, maybe three altogether. When I when I it, the research took a really long time, and I grappled with the structure and what it was going to look like. But I would say somewhere between two and three years.
1: Wow. That's really i mean it's pretty quick for the volume of work that that you've and the knowledge that you've assembled um you know, I thought you were going to say like ten years or something, but um you know you were you were definitely on a roll and driven to uh to get this down and captured on uh on paper so yes. let me ask you and and like go way way back in history, wasn't there uh, a time on the planet? When we were a matriarchal society,
2: yes, indeed, and that is being uncovered uh uncovered more and more, and people use the word uh, matriarchal" when I think that and some people use the word matrilineal because the societies where women had more authority or women were revered and perhaps even in charge. We're not hierarchical like the patriarchal societies are. In other words, decisions were made, that's why women, I think, instinctively like to sit in circles, and we like to do things in a more egalitarian way. It's just um uh, not to say that every woman is wired that way, but but I think kind of instinctually it, women are more used to sharing power. And in the male side of the equation, it's more typical to have a leader where everyone follows the leader and follows follows the orders. But uh, according to, to more archaeology and um, research, that's very true, and more things are found. One of the things that was found... Um, in Austria, when they were building a railroad, was a figure who's come to be known as Venus of Willendorf, because that's where they found her. But cave paintings, things that go back, conservatively now 40 to 50,000 years, show uh, a feminine figure being revered in some way. Doesn't mean that the masculine wasn't honored as well. But uh, I think part of it really relates to the astrological a- ages and. And what we know or what we've been able to discover in the age of Taurus uh, and Leo, cultures were more agrarian from what we know, not going back past that, maybe back 6,000 years I'm talking now. But uh, the earth was revered as a deity, and the growing cycles and the coming and going of things was definitely more honored, and the deity we're told, and what scholars believe, that if there was a single deity, uh, she was thought of more like a great mother who gives birth to everything on Earth and then takes everything back into her body at the end of life. So, yes, absolutely, and that history, that story is very ancient.
1: And um, just for some some chronological reference point the age of Leo Atlantis was still around during the age of Leo, correct?
2: Well let's see, I have to do the math. Uh certainly the beginning of Egypt well that's probably right, twelve thousand twelve thousand years ago, age of uh age of Leo, then age of cancer, Gemini moving moving forward and backward at the same time. The ages the ages from our perspective, uh the ages move in a different direction called precession where the sun appears to move through the zodiac in the opposite direction. So the ages go backward through the signs from our perspective. So that's right.
1: Yeah, that's
4: right. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Right. Well, it. it it's just um it's fascinating to me how it everything is so connected and tied in with um between astrology between the um the cave drawings the ancient ancient um ceremonial um religious type beliefs although it wasn't really i think where did i read just recently that um ancient uh civilizations had no religion or and even et rela- um civilizations they don't have religion they just know they're just well, I, intuitively right. or naturally a spiritually connected being.
2: I suspect that's probably true. An interesting, you, you raise an interesting point because what has been discovered that are now called the Gnostic Gospels from 2,000 years ago when Jesus and Mary Magdalene were around, uh, the word Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis. And that's actually, apparently, what was really being taught. But the Church co-opted it and said, oh no, you need priests and you need to pay us and you need to do these things and you're not allowed to have a direct connection with the Divine. So that idea has probably been around for a very long time. But you know, you make an interesting point, and of course that could be probably something that could be talked about for a really long time. Uh, why, Why humans on Earth feel so disconnected and why uh the whole idea of a deity is separate in some ways why we do not feel our connection to source and all of the implications of that
1: well that was all by design when religions became organized and when the when the shift happened between you know matriarchal and patriarchal for for lack of um other words but when the shift happened and the um the, the the male gods and the organized religion deliberately disconnected people from the deities so that just as you said, you know, if you wanna if you wanna talk to him, I'm his agent and you gotta go through me and you gotta pay me my, my percentage. You know, just I mean that's basically what organized religion does uh because they just don't want people to know and that's just over thousands of years this is the result that people feel separate from a deity and they they don't feel their own divinity because yeah. it was by design I know I know that's changing don't you think uh, Oh I I
2: do and another aspect of that that um I think uh, our modern science if you want to call it that is is beginning to understand but what which what, what was taught in the Hindu Vedas thousands of years ago maybe as far as 7 or 9000 years ago that uh, what came through as the yugas the Hindu ages and then came into the Greek system as the golden ages the silver ages and so forth matches up in a sense with a with a cycle of procession and the Hindu Ancient Hindu Vedas taught that our star was in a binary system and that the orbit of that star, our our sister star, as it got farther away, things became dark on the planet, and as that star came back in its cycle, that is what triggered the return of the Golden Ages. And so within the darkness part, exactly what you just described are the sorts of things that, that happened. It's a really intriguing idea that makes all sorts of sense to me.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, I, I guess people are going to just buy your book rather than ask you on the air about their birthdays. <laughs> you know, I don't see anyone else that is that is calling in. So um, we can just uh, continue a little bit before we wrap it up. And... Are there are there cards that you do? I mean, I I, I just saw you with cards, but uh, I know you do tarot. But have you have you got goddess cards that you use? Well, it's a funny question.
2: Satyama, the publisher and and um, website that I work with, we talked about doing goddess cards at one point, and I put a whole lot of work into them, and then she went to some sort of a um, new age fair of some sort, and she said came back and said, oh, my gosh, there's 20 new decks of goddess cards out there. So we decided that probably that was not a very innovative idea. So uh, I haven't. I've used um, the idea of the goddess signs, which in the original edition of the book were drawn, and I've used those in some ways. But, uh, you know, it's like a lot of things that you think, well, this would be a really great idea if only I had enough time and resources to devote to that. Uh, right, um, right. Uh, I totally understand. Well, But I love the idea. I'm, I, I love yeah. the idea. But, you know, quite a few people um, have done it and have done a few things. And they've done, I think, uh, one person's name who's coming to mind. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. I think it's Chris Walter or something like that. She did a beautiful goddess deck. And there are others. So, um, so I have not gone down that path because it sounds like that was already plowed. So on onto the but it's a lovely idea and I may get it. Well, I mean I mean
1: certainly um using the book as an oracle is is virtually the same thing. Because yes. it goes into um much more uh detail and explanation when you've got the text there rather than cards that you have to learn the energy of. So yes. um but just I I just I just saw you with cards in your hand and I thought is that the future or the past? We don't really
2: know. <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> well, it's a really good point, because I would love to have had some illustrations or images, some um, some actual visual representation of some of these goddesses to work on people. But then, you know, on the other hand, it's kind of uh, freeing to read a description and tune in to the energy of that archetype and uh, see how it presents itself to you. How how do you see it? Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of uh, how that energy and frequency presents itself to you. So it's kind of liberating.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a really good point because it, it is um, giving a person total intuitive freedom and um, just to go to that frequency and let the images uh, present themselves, and they may be different for each person that tries doing that. So new world library or amazon or barnes and noble i'm sure there's links on your website which is julie lore l o a r dot com and um i i noticed on um on amazon when i had uh, i did a search for your books there are there are two different names that that come up an older version of your name if you want to just mention that so that people think that they've got the wrong author?
2: Oh, well, thank you. That's a good thing. I, um, As part of my own journey, I, uh, I divorced uh, in 2007, and I took back my maiden name because my dad was my life hero, but I have written several other books in the name of Gillentine, so sometimes that does show up as uh, several of my early books were written in that name. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping just, to get them all redone and republished
1: and reclaim the name and the whole thing.
2: One more thing right, on the list.
1: right? Yeah, because I think I had seen that on your on your website, so it didn't it didn't throw me too much when I got to Amazon and did a, a search on the title and it came up with the other name. So um, <laughs> it, you know, if that happens to anyone else, it's it's okay. It's it's the right person. It's so the Julie, I'm right going through metamorphosis.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, well. When that stops, um you know we'll all be really sad <laughs> because you know if you stop <laughs> growing, you stop changing, then you're you're starting to um you know to pass away so um, growth is is part of of the life, and you know star seeds I was just thinking this the other day, we are on an upward spiral, and that's how come no matter how far you've come. You know you're not there yet, and, and yes. no matter how much you've accomplished, um, people still want. It's like, but there's more, but there's more, and it's like, how come you know no one is satisfied with where they are? And then it just hit me. It's like, well, duh, it's the upward spiral. You can't yeah. stay in one place. You have to keep ascending. So it's a it's a it's a process. It's a journey, and um, we hope that everyone. Enjoys each step along the way, and um, I, I read something today that it seems appropriate for this show. So, just a little a quotable quote. I, I probably won't get it right, and I'm, I'm going to struggle to remember the the name of the author. But it was basically that the gracious person points out the uh, calls attention to the good points of others. And the small person does the opposite yeah. and calls attention to their defects. So, you know, it let's everybody focus on others' good points. And that is the most empowering, self-empowering thing you can do, is to empower others. And it's a very feminine thing to do. So. I just wanted to kind of throw that in there before we sign off. Is there anything else that you would like to uh, mention to our audience before we do wrap it up? I think the only thing that I would say, first of all, thank you
2: very much, and that uh, a simple way to bring the goddess or the divine feminine into our lives is to consciously watch the phases of the moon and know how that mirrors the larger seasons of the year and pay attention to the cycles that ebb and flow in life, because women's lives especially are are framed by cycles. And so every time we watch an ebb and flow, we can
1: remember that part of ourselves. And understand that if you're at a part in that cycle that is less pleasant than another part, that this too shall pass. So, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean oh, step you know, step back and take a look at a bigger picture instead of focusing on the the minutiae of the day and it really helps you to uh keep your balance.
2: And have perspective, right?
1: Absolutely. You have to keep things in perspective and and remember why we're here and the purpose that we all share, which is the upward evolution of civilization on this planet and the protection and um, nurturing of Mother Earth herself. Here, here. Yes, ma'am. So, <laughs> Julie, thank you so much for sharing your time, your wealth of knowledge, and your fascinating research and book, and most of all for helping to bring the goddess to everyone on a daily level. Well, thank you
2: all very much for having me. It's been a pleasure and um, just delighted to be with you.
1: As it is here. So, everyone, it is um, the website, com. Please visit it and check out her books and her works. She's got a lot of things to offer on the website and writings that are really, really good. So um, until next week, I want you all to take care. That sounded pretty southern now, didn't it? (laughs) Every once once in a while, I slip into that southern thing because I've lived here for so long. But uh, take care of each other, everyone, and give your smile to someone else. Good night.